Today is February 19th, 2021. The Texas power outage continues amidst freezing temperatures. Democrats propose new legislation that could allow a path to citizenship for millions of illegal immigrants. And a new rover lands on Mars. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family to another fantastic episode that we got rolling on out to you here on this Friday morning, bringing you all the best news and insights from the left and the right, looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly, and of course, finding that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. I can say with a very, very high degree of certainty that this is the best podcast that we have done so far, and I know that y'all are going to feel the same way because I know that y'all love looking and parsing through all the divisiveness just as much as I do in American politics. So without further ado, let's hop on into our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story of the day, the Texas power outage, I'm sure that many of you have heard about the incredibly inclement weather that has been going on not just in Texas, but all over the country as well. There's been a gigantic cold front that's been moving over primarily the middle of the country and even on up into the Northeast a little bit as well. But Texas has gotten hit particularly hard. Uh, There's still millions of people that are out of power throughout the vast majority of Texas and in different parts of the country. Um, In fact, the entire city of Austin is actually under a boil water advisory because uh, of how poorly everything basically uh, is being handled and things are going on there uh, and people are, are not even able to drink the water that they have coming out of their spigots and whatnot, their tap water. Uh, Many people are reportedly sleeping in their cars because their houses are too cold for them to sleep in, Uh, especially when you think about you know, where Texas is. I mean, it's in the southernmost part of the United States. And so they're used to incredibly warm weather. I guarantee you that their air conditioners work overtime all year long, very much in the same way that ours do in South Carolina. And so they just may not have the clothes or the blankets to be able to handle sub-freezing temperatures for a very long period of time. I really, it's made me think a lot about here in South Carolina, like I live in Columbia, the vast majority of the year, it never goes below 50, 55 degrees. I mean, if at any point it got down into the, you know, the low single digits or the teens for a long period of time here in Columbia, it would be pretty brutal on us as well. So I really kind of feel for a lot of the Texans that are struggling right now. Um, there's been a couple of reports actually of people that are dying from carbon monoxide poisoning because they're trying to heat their house in different ways using coal or using fire or even actually starting up their cars in their garages and uh, trying to get warm that way. Uh, I've read stories of people walking two or three miles in the snow and in the sleet and in all of the awful cold conditions just to go to a gas station so that they can get some food for a day or so. And then they're getting there and all the shelves are completely cleared out and wiped clean. Um, There obviously are hardly any snowplow in the entirety of the of the state of Texas. So the roads are just sitting there covered in ice. Pipes are bursting, flooding people's homes. Many people are concerned that this is going to affect the, affect the vaccine rollout. Hospitals are barely keeping the power on with backup generators, uh, let alone being able to go out and vaccinate a ton of people as well. Um, there are actually, I read a couple of different stories on CNN uh, where they were covering people that were legitimately thinking about driving down into Mexico 
and renting hotels for a couple of a couple of nights, even up to a week, in order to be able to get working heating, working heating and air, and you know, working water. Um, pretty crazy stuff. So, um, where this comes into play is like all things it got incredibly politicized, right? Because we can't have something in the United States happen without everybody blowing up, blowing it up and, you know, basically politicizing it and pointing fingers, fingers at the other side of the aisle. Um, it really is amazing how something like a power outage caused by a winter storm in Texas can ignite flames on both sides of the aisle to be so angry. In fact, we kind of saw this a little bit last year as well with the California wildfires. There's been some pretty awful stuff said online about all of this, and we're going to do our best to kind of get in and kind of parse through what both sides of the aisle are saying, why this is kind of important in terms of a political subject. Um, but the funny thing to me is all of the supposed experts now on Twitter uh, and on the internet that are suddenly incredibly well-versed and knowledgeable about the entirety of the power grid that goes throughout the country. All of these people that have literally never looked at a power grid map in their entire lives are now here we go, experts on the subject and can argue why the left is correct and why the right is wrong or the right is correct and the left is wrong. Truly amazing stuff. So um, let's go ahead and hop in real quick and take a look. Uh, this is a reporting that was done by the Washington Post, and they actually do have an expert on that is talking a little bit about the structure of the Texas uh, electrical grid and kind of what is going on there. Right now, the power system in Texas is seizing up as the state is weathering some of the coldest temperatures it's seen in years. What we're seeing is that some of these traditional thermal power stations, which include coal, gas, and nuclear, have equipment literally freezing over, seizing up, and that is contributing to some of the power failures. We also see uh, wind turbines uh, being iced over, and that's preventing some wind generation that would otherwise be happening. So normally if a state is experiencing some sort of problem with generating power, they can draw power from neighboring states in order to meet that need. Texas is a little bit more limited in doing that because it runs an independent grid, one that has some connections, but not as much connection to neighboring states. A, a grid system that's not designed for these extremely cold temperatures that we're used to seeing in places like New England and the Midwest. This is a completely different region that is really built to deal with big summer heat waves and making sure the air conditioners stay on, not with these really deep cold snaps. Okay, so uh, that's a guy basically talking through why uh, Texas is struggling so much right now and kind of why they are a little bit connected, broken off from the rest of the country. So they technically kind of have their own little power grid type thing uh, where they are separate from the Western United States and Eastern United States. And so they don't really have the setup in place so that they'd be able to draw electricity from other places. As a result, when the large part of the, you know, the wide variety of different places that they get their power from in Texas uh, kind of stopped working or froze up, they weren't able to go to other states, neighboring states, and get the help that they need. So like all things, like I said, this got politicized incredibly quickly. Everything from it's cold in Texas, so global warming is fake, to uh, it's a Republican-run state and and that's why this is happening uh, to it's the Democrats fault for uh, pushing renewable energy. I mean, the whole gambit of this is everybody else's fault, except for maybe we should solve the problem. So what we do know 
is that Texas was incredibly unprepared for a couple of reasons. So they actually do have a a pretty heavily reliance on wind wind turbines. And and when I say a reliance, I mean that a good portion of the energy that they use on the day-to-day basis actually does come from wind turbines and renewable energy sources. So Wall Street Journal actually had some really good reporting on this, talking through how the government subsidies for wind turbines uh, that really got put in place during the George H.W. Bush administration and then have subsequently been prolonged year after year after year, presidential administrations after that. Um, pushed a lot of people to invest very heavily into wind energy, especially in the Midwestern states. So if you think about Texas, it normally is extremely warm, right? It's structured. Uh, Their entire electrical system is now structured in order to be able to accommodate for that, right? And places where you've got a lot of area and you got a lot of warmth and a lot of desert and a lot of high winds, that's a pretty good place for renewable energy in the form of wind turbines or solar panels, even though solar panels not nearly as much. So um, basically what ended up happening is they ended up investing a lot of money and a lot of time and resources into having wind turbines there, but they did not have enough uh, other energy sources that could be used in order to kind of be a base load for uh, what happens if those wind turbines go down, what else are you going to use, Right. Which really is actually kind of mind blowing because Texas is one of the highest producers of oil and nat- uh, oil in the entire country. So um, this has now led a whole bunch of people to start pointing the finger at the inconsistency of renewable energies like solar and especially wind as not being sufficient. This is somewhat fair, okay? There has, to, but I think that this whole Texas thing is really kind of showing that there has to be a balance of the two, okay? Uh, 99% of the time renewals can help renewable energies can help supply a good portion of energy that, you know, needs to be used then okay, invest in it and use it. Right. The problem is what happens when the wind turbines go down, then you have to be able to have things like fossil fuels to be able to back those up. Right. That wasn't really done well in Texas. And as a result, you're kind of looking for a whole, a whole bunch of people looking around trying to shift the blame off of their party, whether it's the Democrats because they heavily support renewable energy or the Republicans because they're like, uh, you know, this isn't our fault at all. Uh, we tried to lean into the whole renewable energy uh, thing and you guys, it just has come back and burnt us. So I'll just go ahead and say also this about the just this is the only thing I'm going to say about the whole global warming thing because I almost think that it's too stupid to address but I feel like I have to because it's been talked about a lot if you think that Texas being cold is a clear indicator that the globe is not warming or that climate change is not happening then I would strongly suggest that you maybe do a little bit of research into climate change because you may not have a good understanding of what climate change, I guess, means or uh, what it looks like on a large scale, okay? I've heard a lot and I've seen a lot, especially from the right side of the aisle, that for some reason they just, climate change is is evil and it's not real at all. Um, Seasonal and regional weather patterns of cold are not an indicator that the world is not slowly warming up or not an indicator that the climate is changing at all just going to go ahead and say that. (laughs) So it honestly is ridiculous that I feel like I have to, but I feel like I should. So, um, like I said earlier, this is a great example of why having both sides of the aisle being able to come together and produce solid policy solutions is incredibly needed. 
We need to have the Democrats that want and long for pushing for renewable energies that are going to be beneficial and long lasting and are not going to run out. You're never going to run out of fuel, run out of wind energy. You will eventually run out of fossil fuels. Just a fact. Okay. Not even completely disregarding what fossil fuels does to the atmosphere, which is proven. Okay. Then you also have to think you do also need the right side of the aisle that is willing to say, listen, I know you like your renewable energy, but right now we have one of the largest producers of energy that the world can provide us in nuclear power and in fossil fuels, gas, coal, oil, okay? We need to tap into those and use those, especially in a case where any type of renewable energy may go down, okay? Um, you have to have a blend of the two. What's going on in Texas right now is a great example of what happens when you don't have a good blend of the two. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, Democrats and immigration. So the House looked put forward a bill yesterday, a bill yesterday uh, specifically around immigration. This was backed by Biden, and it would basically do look to do a lot and accomplish a lot of what the Democrats have been pushing for years around the problem of illegal immigration in the United States. So it's called the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. The goal is to tackle immigration and the problem that illegal immigration is in the United States on a wide variety of different fronts. So many on the left are lauding this as basically the immigration plan that can and should and needs to be passed, has been needing to be passed for decades. Many people on the right are looking at it and saying that it's absolutely terrible and it doesn't support the border security that we feel like we need. Okay, some of those are kind of true on both sides. Um, it is very, very unlikely to pass in the Senate. Uh, I will be honest with you, I will be blown away if this bill, as it is currently written, passes in the Senate. I think uh, it would be, they will need 10 votes, 10 Republicans, in order to be able to pass it with a 60 vote threshold. I just do not see that happening. They may be able to get one or two, but even that I think would be kind of surprising. So, uh, my guess is that it'll get passed in the House, pretty much shot down in the Senate, and then there will be pushing back and forth and negotiation. I definitely think that immigration reform will be passed, though, like during the Biden administration, because it is a topic that's been under fire for years. And more importantly, it was a hot button item for the Trump administration that he failed to legislate on. So Trump did very, very little on the front of actually getting the problem that we have with border security taken under and put under control. He did strengthen border security a good bit and illegal immigration did lower during Trump's tenure in the White House. However, he did not permanently solve the problem by any stretch of the imagination. So... Uh, Democrats are looking to be able to step in and kind of tap into that as, you know, a huge policy achievement that they would be able to do. So let's hop in real quick. This is Fox uh, talking to Fox 4 News talking about this now. President Joe Biden's administration is planning to tackle and start reforming immigration this week by releasing the new U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. Local immigration attorney Pablo Hurtado says this new bill is a way for lawmakers to rethink how we've looked at immigration for the last two decades. Which is instead of enforcement for first and more enforcement and more enforcement, but really starting to look at the root issues of what causes illegal immigration and also providing a more uh, humanitarian approach to how to deal with the people, the 10 to 12 million people that are already here undocumented. 
Hurtado says this might be a tough bill to pass, but it will need bipartisan support affecting 10 to 12 million immigrants. This could be a major turning point with new changes for asylum seekers, DACA recipients and more. All right. So um, the largest item in this bill, and they kind of hinted at it a little bit uh, just now in that video, is providing a pathway to citizenship for some 11, 10 to 12 million immigrants that are currently in the United States illegally right now. So how this would work is it would basically be an eight-year process where the people that are here illegally could of apply for it under the United States Citizenship Act of 2021. And then over the course of eight years, they would have a path towards amnesty and being able to be here legally and a path towards citizenship. Basically, the people that we know that are here illegally now would be able to provide, go ahead and apply for it and then eventually be granted that citizenship. The question that I have around this, and I guess a little bit of a worry that I have, a little bit of a side note, is what happens when all of a sudden there are way more people that are applying for it that we didn't know were currently here? I have a hard time believing that our estimates currently in the United States of 10 to 12 million people that are here illegally are actually accurate. I feel like it actually could be significantly higher than that. Um, I, maybe they've estimated high and a significantly less amount of people actually apply underneath the Citizenship Act. I find that pretty hard to believe, though. I feel like normally it's going to be higher than you uh, would normally guess. So um, it also does a large number of other things as well. So um, it basically allows immediate green cards uh, and eligibility for green cards for illegal immigrant farm workers, temporary protected status recipients, and deferred action for childhood arrival recipients as well. So those people will immediately get green cards. Uh, it basically allows the people that are here illegally but are under some sort of protected status to go ahead and immediately be taken care of, which I think somewhat has some pretty bipartisan support. Trump actually even talked about going ahead and granting green card access to all the DACA recipients. Um, it also expands the pretty controversial green card lottery from 55000 a year to 80000 a year um, and would be actually exempting children and spouses from the visa cap numbers. So uh, my presumption is and my reading and understanding of this would be you could, as a head of household, apply for the green card. If you are here uh, and you want it out of the lottery, then your spouse and your children would be able to stay with you as well as a result of that. Um, would also take, likely take away a uh, ban for legal reentry for those who have been deported for illegal immigration in the past. So currently and under the Trump administration, if you have been deported for illegal immigration, you cannot come back into the country again and you do not have a path towards getting any type of green card and definitely not a path towards citizenship. Uh, it allocates $4 billion for attacking the quote root causes of illegal immigration. This seems to be somewhat vague in some of the wording of the bill itself, but from some of the people that are pushing the bill, the Democrats, they've said that this includes on cracking down on bad actors in the region of where illegal immigrants are coming from, enhancing the ability to prosecute traffickers, including expanding anti-gang task, for task forces, and it would also set up refugee processing centers in Central America. Uh, it actually gives very, very little money for actual border security, though, right? ICE is getting no help as a result of this. They're not getting any system upgrades. They're not getting anything that's actually going to be able to help them process the people that are coming into the country, which, to me, is a pretty big problem. So, 
Like I said, the left loves this and the right doesn't. This is definitely more of a left-leaning bill being pushed. Right now, the Republicans have it in their mind that immigration is just bad and the Democrats just want to open up the border to everyone. A little bit of truth to that, right? But from what I've seen, a lot of the conversations on the right side of the aisle about immigration normally be, tend to be more catered to fear-mongering, whereas the conversations on the left tend to be, these would be a great group of people for us to be able to convince to vote for us. Just kind of that simple. So if we remember back to Donald Trump in 2018 showing videos, he had campaign videos during the midterm elections around and depicting people jumping over border walls uh, and talking about rapists and uh, child abusers and all kinds of terrible people that were coming into the country through all of these uh, immigrants that were coming in. So a lot of fear mongering from the right around this. So as I have said in the past, I am much more, I think, in line with the left when it comes to immigration. Maybe I'm a bit more of a libertarian when it comes to immigration. Uh, I think that granting a pathway to citizenship for the people that are currently here illegally is actually at this point the best option that we have because not only is it a strain on the economies to have people that are here illegally uh, on the economies of the communities that they live in, but it's also terrible for the illegal immigrants as well, right? So these illegal immigrants are not able to pay taxes. They are not paying taxes, but they are still using school systems, you know, all different education systems, health systems, a wide roads, right? It doesn't matter what, anything that's state funded, they're not paying into it, but they're of course being able to get the benefits from it. Terrible for the illegal immigrants in the sense of they are unable to save and invest money into the communities in a way that would be beneficial for them and the community in the long run if they were granted at the very least green card status and visa status, okay? I am also under the impression that due to the incredibly anecdotal experience that I've had working alongside Central and South American immigrants that are here in the United States, they are incredibly hard workers, they're very normally incredibly family-oriented, and would be of great benefit for a lot of the communities that they are in. So I tend to be more for having uh, immigrants coming into the United States. Uh, there also is a certain degree of argument that you could use economically and fiscally that says it would be beneficial to have um, to have uh, not ne- not necessarily illegal immigrants. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Uh, I'm not for illegal immigration. Okay, <laughs> I am for legal immigration, uh, but making it as easy as possible for those people to come in. Um, there's an economic argument as well that allowing a, a large amount of legal immigrants that are oftentimes tending to be more low wage, low skilled workers is incredibly beneficial for your economy because it keeps wages low. Now that gets incredibly complicated when you start talking about and tossing around the idea of a $15 minimum wage, but I digress. That's a totally different argument. We could talk about that at a different point in time. So uh, it doesn't look like this is going to be passed. I would guess that a pared down version of this bill will eventually pass, um, but it's probably not going to be anytime soon. I would personally not love to see it passed unless it did grant more money to border security. And I know that's something that the Republicans are going to push very, very hard on because I do think it's important for you to be able to monitor and control and understand who is coming into your country and not just allow for it to happen. Right. But it does look like they're going to make a pa- the pathway towards citizenship and the pathway towards legal immigration into the United States hopefully much easier, which I personally think definitely needs to happen. So 
With all of that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our third story and last story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, uh, the Mars rover lands. So yesterday, uh, this isn't really just a political story, by the way. This is just freaking awesome. I thought it was super cool, so I wanted to talk about it. So NASA landed a rover on Mars. I believe this is the fifth rover that they've been able to land on Mars. Um, And it's slated to do a lot of things over the next couple of years. So the rover's name was Perseverance. It traveled almost 300 million miles to get to Mars, uh, which is absolutely bonkers to think about because that is a really long way. and they will also be attached to this rover as actually a helicopter that they're going to try and fly around on Mars, which is super dope. All right. Awesome stuff. So they're looking right to the first thing that they're going to be doing is basically looking for small fossils, micro fossils, picking up a lot of different stuff in the soil and with the end goal of trying to see if life was ever present on Mars. I think the idea is to have the rover Perseverance just kind of scooting all around the surface of Mars, uh, collecting a whole bunch of different soil samples, examining them, taking you know video footage and a ton of uh, pictures and stuff of the surface of Mars to kind of give us more of an understanding of what it looks like. Uh, obviously, It'd be absolutely gigantic news if they found out that there was life on Mars uh, because it would be the first actual, uh, I guess, indication of and evidence of life living on another planet besides Earth, which would be absolutely huge. Um, So there's actually a lot of talk right now uh, around Mars and around the feasibility of having life there. it's really been gaining steam recently, especially around the incredibly eccentric billionaire and now I believe richest person on earth, Elon Musk, who has come out and said that he is hoping to have basically rocket ships and stuff flying to Mars within the next couple of years and has also talked a ton about terraforming Mars and what that would look like and the steps that they would need to take in order to do that. Really interesting stuff. So he runs SpaceX, which is launching rockets and is basically trying to become the first ever commercial uh, outer, outer space like liner, right? So like he wants the goal of eventually having commercial rockets taking people up into space, flying them around, and then bringing them back down to Earth really interesting. Uh, he's incredibly smart. Elon Musk is pretty fun to listen to. If you ever hear him on podcasts or speeches and stuff like that, really, really eccentric, interesting dude. Um, but he's also like with the terraforming Mars, I think that a lot of that has gained steam with the idea that like there are ice caps on the poles at Mars. And so essentially if you were able to terraform Mars and get the atmosphere in a way that would be conducive to having life there, humans would eventually be able to go. Sounds pretty interesting. So Jeff Bezos, the second richest person in the world and CEO of Amazon, um, has also gotten in on some of the talk around sending stuff into space. NASA is, for the first time, really getting a run for their money with private companies wanting to take make space travel kind of a normal thing, which is really interesting because for the longest time, the only thing that were really going into space were just countries because they were the only people that had enough money to do it. We now have people that have so much money that they can decide that they want to try and go to space and they have enough money to really kind of make it happen. So uh, NASA is also planning on setting up a page on their website that will allow people to go there, look at the pictures and the videos that the rover has uh, taken 
super cool. You'll be able to kind of go on and goof around and look at all the stuff that the rover has done, which I think is absolutely awesome. I'm super interested in this stuff, so I've really been kind of geeking out about it a little bit over uh, the past week or so. Um, but if they were able to find fossils, if they were able to find small things that indicated life on Mars, that would be an incredibly large scientific achievement and and then you're going to start seeing countries all over the world that will then start coming together to try and get up there and explore a lot more. Our technology would basically go through the roof in space travel, which I think would be pretty awesome. So with all of that, that is the end of our third story of the day. Let's go ahead, hop on into our last segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week is actually going to be this weekend. One of my best buds for years is getting married and it is going to be a blast going up there and getting to celebrate him. I know that I have used a friend getting married in the past uh, <laughs> as one of my made me smiles, but it's a really joyful time uh, and I'm really excited to get up there and go and celebrate with him. So shout out to Taylor if you actually are listening to this uh, because I'm super excited to go and celebrate this weekend. It's going to be a ton of fun. So with all of that, that is the end of our show today. Thank you for stopping in and for checking us out. As always, y'all remember to find me on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast with one T. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference and YouTube at Split the Difference as well. Check out my website at splitthedifference.com. Drop me some likes and subscribes. All that stuff goes a super long way. If you have not already, also go and listen to the guest episode because that came out this past Tuesday. It was super fun, great to film, and a lot of great conversation as well. So go and drop, check that out. Uh, drop that a like as well because... That was a bunch of fun, and we will hopefully have many more guest episodes to come. So thank you all for listening in. Always remember, y'all, we're going to do our best to be level-headed. We're always going to be reasonable, and, of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.